0: away. (laughs) Let's bow together and pray. Our Father, we thank you today that you are so good to us, uh, day in and day out. We thank you that as our Heavenly Father, you love us and care for us more than what we can ever comprehend. Your love is perfect. Your discipline is perfect. Your guidance is perfect. And we want to worship you this morning because of that. As we come together today, we come from many different circumstances of life, many different situations. You know the burdens upon our heart. You know the concerns deep within us. We ask that you would meet us in those situations. This morning I want to pray on this Father's Day for those of us who have fathers who do not yet know you or are not walking in your ways. Lord, even today, somehow, we ask that you would speak to them. That you would remind them of the great Father's love for them and their need to know him. Help us to know how to minister to them. Thank you, Father, for the heritage of godly fathers who taught us your ways, who modeled Christ's likeness. Help us never forget that. Help us to pass it on to succeeding generations. So as we come together today to to think about your word and about dads, I pray that you would speak to each of us and help us to have attentive hearts and minds. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Today is Father's Day, it's a day of memories. For some of us it's memories of lots of joy and fun and uh, pleasures of doing things. And I anticipate that probably for some of us it is not, but rather it's memories of addiction, of abuse, of alcoholism, very painful situations. And to those measures I I would just say, you know, that's not God's design. God's design for fathers is this, that dads model the father's love for his children, and that dad does it in his family. That's God's model. And we all know that's not a model that's followed carefully. Sometimes we dads get it right, and sometimes we don't. And we can take great relief and encouragement in that, that the father, the father, knows our weaknesses And he does not hold that against us. In grace, he extends to us forgiveness. And in grace, he does not demand perfection. My dad was not perfect, but I want to reflect upon character qualities that he taught me. Some very blatantly, and some so subtly, I don't know how he did it, but he did it. I was raised on a family farm 20 miles west of Canton, Illinois, in a little community called Checkro, and there it was that we grew up. As you listen, you have an insert in your bulletin that I have put together, and we're going to use that, so you want to keep it out. And if you have a pencil or a pen, I encourage you to do that, too, and as we do that, for those of you with dads at home, you know, maybe one or two or, or seven of these, you'll want to circle and say, I need to work on that. Uh, for those of us who are not dads, you ladies, I encourage you to pray for dads, to be, be men of God, men who do indeed represent Jesus Christ and his fatherly concern with excellence. You know, one of the passions of my life, I love that description of of David in Acts 13.22, where it says, David was a man after my own heart. This is a description of God that Paul is quoting. David was a man after my own heart who would do all his will. Guys, that's the kind of men we ought to be. Ladies, you pray for your man to be that way. To be that man of God in your home. So you don't have to worry about math. I was born in 1943, so some of my experiences will talk about that. And if you need help with the math, that's 73 years old. And I feel like I'm about 50. So uh, that's what I do. We raised cows, milk dairy cattle, raised beef cattle, fed pigs. All the responsibilities of a a typical family farm in the 40s and 50s, and uh, in that whole process as we uh, were raised, we had a lot of interesting experiences. We lived on a high-quality county road that went right by our house, and one of the annual events was this. When the spring thaw came, the bottom fell out of the, the road right in front of our house, Now, those of us who lived in the community, we knew how you you hit that spot just right, and you went right on through. But if you didn't hit it quite right, you had one choice. Get out of your vehicle, walk up to Beatty's house, knock on the door, and say, hey, will somebody come and pull me out with a tractor? And that's the way we did it. That was an annual event. An interesting perspective in that. One of the first lessons I thought about when I thought about this topic was that my dad said taught me to do your work with quality and with a good attitude. Do it with quality and with a good attitude. I remember one morning, for some reason there wasn't school that day, and as a young teen I imagined the privilege to goof off with my horse and my dog and after the chores were done and have a little time to myself and play. But for some reason, my dad had a different idea for that day. You see, we had an old horse barn that had been converted into a a livestock barn, and the distance between the haymow floor Joyce, and the concrete floor underneath was not enough for the loader tractor to get underneath it to clean it out. So the project of the day was to get the pitchforks and he and me to clean it out. Now, I didn't like that idea. I I non-verbally communicated to him, I think this is a terrible attitude. Well, probably I also did it verbally. But I'll never forget the words that my dad eventually said to me. He said, there are two ways that we can do this job. We can mumble and grumble, or we can have a good attitude and have a good time. The bottom line is, the job has to be done. Choose your attitude. And then he added, let's have a good time doing this job that neither one of us want to do. Reminds me of those words in Colossians 3, and on some of these I have included first the NIV and then the New American Standard. Uh, please join me as we read the first there, Colossians three, twenty-three and twenty-four. Whatever join me, please. <laughs> Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And New American Standard, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Dad taught me to do my work with quality and with a good work, good attitude. And in these 70 years plus, I have found that to be something that has gone with me, no matter what the responsibility of life is, to be able to do my work to the best of my ability and to do it with a good attitude. Uh, Currently, I coach pastors, and I also teach online for Moody Bible Institute. Before that, I was interim pastor for eight years and uh, before that, I was pastor at Burlington Evangelical Free Church called New Hope Community. But whatever the job, to do it with quality and with a good attitude, I've never forgotten those words my dad spoke to me that morning in that old horse barn. I can have a good attitude when I even I pitch manure as unto the Lord. That's a choice. Learning to work with quality has been a life-impacting lesson for this junior high kid. A second lesson my dad taught me was to be a man of integrity. be a man of integrity. Let's read, We'll read Proverbs 10:9, New, Amer- New International and then New American Standard, and then we'll go back to Proverbs 11 and do the same thing. So read with me, Proverbs 10:9. The man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. He who takes, looks in integrity, walks securely, but he who perverts his way will be found out. And then back to 11.3. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their disposition. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. Integrity relates to honesty, sincerity, genuineness, uh, just a whole host of words that relate to reliability and uh, uprightness. It's a powerful word. Whether a Christian or a non-Christian People who knew my dad knew that he was a man of integrity. When my dad's got arthritis got so bad that he could not uh, take care of the livestock any longer, and getting on and off tractors was very difficult, he took a job with the dealer John Deere dealership in East Galesburg. Shortly after he was employed by the dealership. The dealer came to him one day and asked him, would you consider being the manager of our dealership up in Oneida? It's a failing business, and I just need you to keep the business alive for a year or two till we can merge the two dealerships on I-74 on a piece of property I've bought there. After considering it, my dad accepted the position. However, there was a significant problem. Uh, a problem that really messed up the dealer, sh- dealer pro- uh, the owner, uh, his plan. When my dad went to Oneida and started selling farm equipment, people who knew my dad came from 40 and 50 miles around to deal with this dealer because they knew that he was a man of integrity. They knew that if Dwight Beatty said something, they could take it to the bank and that he could be trusted and he would not pull any shenanigans in trying to make a deal with them. He was a man of integrity through and through. And so the the owner was not able to close the business in a year or two years. I can't remember exactly how many years, but I know it was in excess of ten years until my dad retired, that the business was so profitable that he would not dare to close it. He was a man of integrity that could be trusted. I don't know how he taught me this, but I just know that that is so intensely ingrained in my life that I am to be a person of honesty, no matter what I do. do. No matter who, with whom I'm dealing I'm to be genuine, I'm to be sincere. I chuckled a few years ago when I was applying for a job and they called one of my references and they they asked about me. And this fellow said what you see is what you get. What he says he will do. What a description of my dad he ingrained integrity as a warp and woof aspect of my life that i am so thankful for and a quality that's so intensely needed in our culture today wow he taught me to do my work with uh, with quality and a good attitude of, to be a man of integrity and he taught me to stand for convictions I love these verses from 1 Corinthians 16, 3. Let's read them together from both versions. Beyond your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong. Beyond the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. I remember my dad having some strong convictions and, uh, Part of those I smile about because I did not always agree with them, But there were others that I certainly strongly agreed with. He was a man who was courageous to stand for his biblical convictions. He took a stand. A man of courage. While, whether at church or somewhere else in public, he was the same at home. He stood for his convictions. I asked my sister, who is seven years older than I, for some input on this. And she said, you know, there was never a question on what we did on Sunday. We always got up and went to Sunday school and church as a family. No questions asked, whether on vacation or at home. We were in Sunday school and church and Sunday night and prayer meeting. It was not a have-to kind of thing. Uh, In fact, as I was thinking about what my sister said, uh, I chuckled about another memory I had because one one night, uh, about 9 o'clock at night, uh, a neighbor called. And they wanted to check on us. Because they noticed, this unbelieving family noticed that there was a light on in our house during church time. And they knew the babies would be in church, not at home. No, none of us were sick. Somebody just forgot to shut a light off. Interesting. Those convictions were so permeating. I remember one time when I, I, if I recall correctly, I was somewhere around six or seven years old, and I had a fever, and, and my parents decided I couldn't go to church because I, whatever I had, I might give it to the other kids. And so they said, you're going to have to stay home with Cleve. That was our hired man that lived with us. I thought they were the meanest parents in the world, and I explained that to them. I wanted to go to church. I didn't have to. I wanted to. It was an outgrowth of my dad's convictions that he lived by. And I wanted to be a man of conviction also. Uh, My sister also said although it was difficult at times because of the cold weather, now you have to put this back in the 40s, muddy roads, or snow, dad made certain that the church doors were open for those who could go get there to worship. In the 40s and 50s, that old country church was heated by a potbelly stove. Now, sometimes in sometime in the 50s, we converted to gas, but it was a major issue. And, of course, it was usually my dad who got there to get that potbelly stove warmed I thought about it today, you know, that that pop-belly stove would be back here about a third of the way, and on a cold January day, you know, everybody sat toward the front. (laughs) Nobody explained that, but that's what happened. Dad was not merely interested in having a vibrant church in our community. He put action to it. He served as chairman of the board for many, many years, chairman of the pastoral search team, Sunday school superintendent, Sunday school teacher, whatever, he did it. If there was a project to be done, he was a guy who organized it, and then he led the volunteers in doing it, and he provided all the equipment that was needed, and uh, even some volunteers. My mom, my sister, and my brother, and me. And we were there. It was part of his conviction and his work. It was an interesting time in our lives, and so many fun memories that I can't even begin to tell you all of them. But what I've observed as I've reflected back on this was that he was concerned about the vibrancy and health of the church far beyond mere talk or pew sitting. His convictions led him to actions. A man of God, a farmer who loved God, out of his convictions he served. And somehow, that's deeply ingrained in us, his descendants. My brother is deceased, but... All of us had a passion to serve the Lord and to be active in a local church. It was an impact of my dad's convictions. And that's the kind of conviction I want to pass on to, well, to quote Deuteronomy again, since we've already referenced Deuteronomy. It says, teach them diligently to your children and to your children's children. Well, it's okay to read Dr. Seuss to your grandchildren or whatever, but don't forget to teach them biblical convictions to your children and to your children's children. Well, number four, I have to turn the page over there. My dad taught me to love learning, to love learning. What a privilege that was. I remember back in the 50s, and I I cannot remember more than this, but I know that one of the things that he did every winter in January, he'd go to the high school. Now this is 10 miles away, and he'd take classes. The ag teacher would put on various classes, and he'd take them. One was welding. That's the one I remember, and I won't tell you all the funny stories there, but that's it, it is a fun story, but that was his spirit. He wanted to learn. I remember when the Farm Bureau came out with a new accounting system for the for farm accounting. He was an early adapter. He was recognized in the 50s by Adelaide Stevenson, the governor, for his leadership in soil conservation and early adapter in many of those aspects of of Saw conservation, I don't remember how many days, Harold Hart, the conservation uh, guy, spent at our farm. He loved learning. He, he, I, I, he studied his Sunday school lessons so he could teach, or if he was a pupil, so he could be an active pupil. He read magazines that would improve his skills. He had that passion to want to learn Recently, my sister and I were talking about this, and the interesting part that we kind of chuckled about, but we understood it, is that neither my mom or my dad got to go to college. Now, to put that into perspective, my dad graduated from high school in 1931, which means that the Great Depression hit in October of his junior year. My mom and dad were among the few who finished high school in the Depression. And although they wanted to go to college, it was not an option. Their love of learning uh, boiled over onto us. Uh, My mother was always a little bit upset that my sister didn't write her dissertation to get her doctorate. Uh, She was proud when I got mine. And my brother was accountant and treasurer of Wycliffe Bible uh, Translators, and she was proud of the advanced work that he did in his field of accounting and executive management. Wow, to love learning. Those are interesting truths that are referred to even in the, the, uh, the Proverbs that we have there at the top. Let's uh, read them sequentially. I'll read the reference, and then we'll read the verse. Okay? Proverbs 1.5 Let the wise man listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. Proverbs 12.15 The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 15.22 Plans fail for a lack of counsel, but a minute. Mr. They succeed. Proverbs 20:18. Make plans by seeking advice. If you wage war, obtain guidance. In my own life, I have kind of summarized that as having a teachable spirit. Can I learn? Yeah. Will I learn? The choice is mine. But that passion to love learning is one that has so permeated our lives. My dad lived out those verses. He didn't hesitate to ask for advice or counsel for practically any aspect of life. I want to be that kind of person to be willing to ask advice to be willing to listen and not be the fool who thinks he knows everything. My dad taught me to be hospitable, number five. I think my dad taught salesmen a scheduling principle because it was astounding that whenever the gas man showed up or the feed man or the farm advisor or the soil conservation man, they always showed up somewhere between 11 and 12 (laughs) because they knew that at the Beatty Farm they would be given a meal. I I don't know how my mom always stretched the food for another person or two, but she always did, and uh, very few times did she have to whisper to us kids, take small portions. But it was that graciousness to whoever it was to show hospitality. Uh, The guests were always seated on the top side of the the kitchen table, the upper side. See, our, our kitchen table was real, our kitchen was very fancy. It was an old, 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 old porch that had been boarded in and made into the kitchen. And I sat on the downhill side. That's the reason I jump quickly if somebody spills something. (laughs) I learned how to do that young. I'm not that dense. (laughs) But it was good times as a kid to be able to hear people talk about that. Our pastor and his family always got as much milk and eggs as they could use. They were welcome in our home at any time. When we butchered, they got meat. If we had vegetables to give away, they were the first priority. It was very normal for our family to have one or two church families in our home for a Sunday lunch, uh, for a time of food, and then a lot of fellowship, and the kids having a ball together, having fun. They taught me hospitality and the joy of hospitality. My parents hosted so many pastors and missionaries in our home, I wouldn't even begin to start a list. That was just normal. And we were so blessed. When I was about six or seven, uh, we got an indoor bathroom. And we shared it, that one bathroom, with whoever was there. That was part of life. Nothing fancy, but I am so blessed by the hospitality that my dad and my mom taught me. They modeled first Peter four nine. Let's read that one together. Number five. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. My dad taught me to give generously. Generously. I remember hearing Luke 6.38 repeated so many times that I lost count. Give, and it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And then this part, you really catch that it's King James. Shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure that you, ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. And for tradition's sake, I left the King James. And you can look it up in a modern version. Luke 6:38. That's a great verse. I remember many times my mom going to the can that had lard in it, and she'd take one of those big old white coffee cups and dip it into that lard. And I eventually learned to answer her question correctly. Is it full? Well, it sure looks like it is. And the answer, though, is no. She'd take a spoon, and she'd press it all down, and she'd dip the cup back in and get some more in it and say, is it full? No. She'd press that down, and then she'd finish getting it really full with a spoon. That's the way you want to give. And I heard that lesson many, many times, but more significantly, I observed it. When I was about 8 or 9 years old, uh, my parents told us kids that we were going to have a different Christmas that year. We would get some sort of a token gift, but it would not be much, because our primary gift that year was going to be something very different. While many families were buying televisions for themselves, instead mom and dad were going to buy a 16-millimeter projector, a camera, and a projection screen. Now, this is in the 50s, so you have to kind of put that into your mind. But the primary focus of that family Christmas gift was not us, but rather it was the opportunity that we would then be able to show Moody Institute of Science and Billy Graham films in our country church. What a gospel witness. I don't think... Harold or Opal, either one, I know I didn't ever feel deprived by not getting much Christmas present. We felt blessed, especially as the years went on and we saw the result of that giving. My, my folks never said anything about their giving, uh, but I know that they gave generously to get the Moody Institute of Science films translated into Chinese. And the way I know that is that one time, a representative from Moody brought the chaplain of Shanghai shek's uh, army from Taiwan to visit our home and our country church. What a heritage of learning to give generously. When I was a young teen, Our church had some sort of a building project going on. And uh, I I remember saying to the Lord, this year, whatever prize money I get from the 4-H fair is going to the building fund. It was a banner year for me at the fair. When I gave to the treasurer, what would be equivalent in today's money? You go over $1,100. He didn't know what to say. But I did. That's the way Beaties give generously, sacrificially, joyously. The folks didn't talk much about the giving, but I do remember another incident when one morning after we got the chores done, dad said I got to go to town today that's ten miles away to Bushnell because we haven't sold the cattle and I need to borrow some money to meet a commitment to one of our missionary families that was the kind of person he was to give and to give generously I learned quite early that giving to the Lord was a privilege an honor And the privilege of giving sacrificially has rewards that are beyond comprehension. Number seven, my father taught me to love God supremely. My parents bought this farm in 1938 and moved there in the spring of 39. My brother was born a a couple months later. For that first year, my parents were a little puzzled about what to do about church, and so they drove back many Sundays to the church that they had been attending before they moved. Uh, Yes, a a new, brand new uh, blue Chevy pickup was great transportation, and most of the way, but not all of the way, there was a concrete highway, uh, but it was difficult. It was 1939, and uh, the four of them in the pickup truck, I'm sure, was not always comfortable. But they wanted a church in their own community where their children could make Christian friends and where they could learn together and they could be very actively involved. And it's a long story, but I'll say it just real simply. In 1940, before church planting was even in the vocabulary of the church, they were the main influencers to plant Chekro Community Church. And it stands today as a vibrant ministry of their commitment to Christ and to that community. It represents well what that verse in number seven says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. I, I remember when Vacation Bible School was daily vacation Bible school. It was six days a week, and it ran for most of the day. Somehow, my parents made some sort of a connection with a a family that lived in Avon, about 15 miles away. And their three or four kids would come and spend those two weeks with us. That loving God with all your heart was loving kids, Reaching out to kids. My mom had to handle all those extra kids, make lunches, wash clothes with her old ringer washing machine, and all the other aspects of that, and I'm sure settle a few kids' squabbles. <laughs> but it was not a problem because it's in the context of Deuteronomy 6. Putting faith to action. Our car was the Sunday school bus, uh, every Sunday, we need to get to church early to be sure everything was ready to go. And that's usually an hour early. And uh, then the Sunday, the car would leave to go pick up a load of kids before the days of the seat belt rules and all those kind of things. And it was not uncommon to have 10 or 12 kids in that car. And sometimes the car went out for a second. Some of those kids are my dear friends still today because they know the spiritual heritage that my dad and my mom did in illustrating to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. When I sensed God's call on my life to be a pastor, my dad's dreams of me coming back and running the farm with him were dashed but he never asked me to change my mind. On one occasion, he very low-key said to me, if you ever change your mind, you'll be welcome on the farm. That is the kind of giving and commitment to God that I saw modeled in my dad. It's the kind of man I want to be. My dad's commitment to Jesus Christ oozed from him. He was not a Bible thumper. He was not a screamer or a yeller. He rather put his faith into action. And whether a person was a believer or a non-believer, they knew my dad was what a Christian ought to be. Men, I call you to be that kind of a man. Passionately have that kind of a desire. On this Father's Day, I want to encourage you to think about the influence of your dad, a positive influence. And uh, down there under personalizing God's truth, I put what is one important lesson your father taught you. I'll say it in an odd way. But you know, I, I have a number of people that I know who had an alcoholic father but they learned to make lemon out of lemonade and they learned a very positive lesson out of a negative situation alcohol destroys families and that impacts their lives abuse can be turned from a negative into a positive if we allow God to do that what's one positive. And then I encourage you to share it with somebody over lunch today. Talk about it. Uh, Post it on Facebook. Uh, The pastor of that country church, uh, his wife and uh, his his daughter-in-law posted something about one of my dear childhood friends and still friends today. He's a pastor over in northern Indiana. Yeah, that's cool to have that on Facebook. And uh, to know that. Write your dad a note or a letter. If he's already passed on, lift your praise to God and say thank you for the influence of a dad. It's easy to bash men in our politically correct society today. I urge you not to do that. As we think about life, we may think about our dads have failed, or as dads, we may think about how we have failed. I take great encouragement in that last verse that is on the white sheet down there in the bottom in bold. It's Hebrews twelve ten. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, and then these words, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Judy and I had an awesome privilege in 1975, the fall of 1975, to attend a conference in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, part of our uh, Christian education leaders, we had a scheduled meeting with uh, some unknown guy who had written a book on a subject. I've forgotten which book it is that you might recognize his name, Dr. James Dobson. We are profoundly amazed at the amount of Christian parenting that has been written since 1975 to the present. 1975, I would have been in my 30s. My parents raised me without all of that. Thank God that they knew this book and were committed to it. I urge you to be likewise. And so I summarize it by saying, what is an important quality you want to teach your children? And whether you're a parent or not a parent, this is a good time to think about that. What is one of those? And guys, I just want to say, On this special day, I urge you to passionately have a desire to be Christ-like 24-7. To be the kind of men that absolutely, there is no validity if someone would call you a hypocrite. Or as Peter would say, that whoever calls you that won't be believed. Ladies, I again cry out to you. Pray for us guys to be that kind of men. And young gal, I want to challenge you about who you think you would date. Is that guy the kind of person that you would be proud to say in years to come? He is the father of my kids. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that lives and abides forever. And we thank you for godly influencers in our lives. And on this day, we especially thank you for our dads. Thank you that we have people who have influenced us to know you. Some of us have men who influenced our lives through, um, even though they weren't our dads, they influenced us to Christ. They influenced us in our walk with you. And we give thanks to you for them as well. For those of us who wrestle with some challenges of life because of parenting, help us to find healing and wholeness. To pursue Christ-like attitudes and actions. As the psalmist said, teach us your way. Help us to keep in step with you, even today. And throughout this week, help us to walk step by step with you, that the beauty of Jesus Christ would be seen in our lives. And we will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.